Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java Junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. I am so psyched you press play. If you're interested in visual effects or in storytelling, then this is the episode for you because my next guest works as a visual effects artist and executive producer with credits on dozens of movies like, get this, Mission Impossible. And he's an Emmy Award-winning writer, actor, and storyteller who has hosted over a hundred live events for the Moth Radio Hour. But before I introduce you to Corey Rosen, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you an exclusive peek inside the episodes and the professions we're going to be featuring that week. And it is super easy to do. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org. And the sign up box is right there on the homepage. Now, my special effects single shot espresso lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Corey Rosen, a visual effects artist and executive producer whose credits on dozens of movies include Mission Impossible, several Star Wars films, and Disney's A Christmas Carol. Corey has also taught at NYU, that's New York University, and the Academy of Art University. And he's written and directed television commercials and Emmy Award-winning short films. And as if that wasn't enough, Corey's other passion is storytelling. And he's hosted over a 100 live events for the Moth Radio Hour on National Public Radio ever since he won the first ever Bay Area Moth Story Slam in 2014. Corey performs at Bats Improv, one of the world's foremost centers for improvisational theater. He's written for Comedy Central, Jim Henson Productions, and Lucasfilm. He is a creative director at Tippett Studio, a two-time Oscar-winning media production company currently writing screenplays for theme park attractions around the world. And last but not least, he's an on-air personality for Alice Radio's The Sarah and Vinny Show, which is the number one rated commercial morning radio show in the San Francisco area. Corey, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am very caffeinated. I am so ready to go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I was like running out of breath there. There's a a lot in your resume. 
Yeah, that was quite an introduction. I hope people are still listening. It's like, this is your life. This is um, your life, Corey Rosen. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, you have... I am so happy to be here. Oh, I am so thrilled to have you here. And I have to tell you, you are the very first visual effects artist and, All of right. course, storyteller extraordinaire to be on time mm. for coffee. So I am. I don't thrilled. agree with that. I've heard so many wonderful stories. All of your guests have beautiful, natural, real stories from their lives. I just love listening to people tell their stories. And I just really appreciate what you do with this show because you open people up to talk about their lives, their careers, what drives them. And I'm really honored to be here. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Well, it is my pleasure. And let's head over and get ready. Let's stand on the edge of the diving board and get ready to dive in to our 10 espresso shots, Corey. Let's do it. The first shot. What entry-level jobs are available to young people who want to get into visual effects artistry? Great question. So the visual effects industry is kind of a subset of the larger entertainment industry, which includes, you know, movies, TV, TV commercials, games, what's known as cinematics, which are like short films that play at the beginnings of games and throughout games, mobile animation. There's a lot of threads that include media and media production, including animation and visual effects. So entry level jobs are really everywhere. There's a lot of opportunities opportunities for independent productions or large companies that need people to do kind of ground level work, you know, production assistance, you know, answering phones or helping out at studios in very tangible ways if you don't have production experience. But there's also opportunities to get involved with your peers or independent productions to learn on the job, to learn the software and learn the tools that you would need to make your own creative projects, to make your own animated films or your animated shorts or characters. Mm. So there's information out there and there's a lot of opportunities to both do it and also to join up with others who are passionate about it. Are there particular websites where our listeners could go to find some of these production assistant roles or some of these other entry-level positions? There is. There's a website that I subscribe to called Creative Heads. And what Creative Heads is, is a pretty focused community for animation, visual effects and the like, you know, the kind of industry that I'm very involved in. So companies around the world, this includes, you know, Weta, which, you know, made the Lord of the Rings and Planet of the Apes movies. They're in New Zealand. They're on there. Animal Logic, which has offices both in the United States and also in Australia. They worked on things like the Lego movies. Industrial Light and Magic, which is George Lucas's company that does the Star Wars films. All of these big companies. And it also crosses over, you know, companies like Valve in Seattle or companies like the people who make Fortnite. All the different kinds of animation studios that do games, movies, and television post on Creative Heads. And that's a great resource to familiarize yourself with what's out there. Nice. You said you have a subscription. So does that mean that our young listeners have to pay to get access to this? Or can you get access without paying for it? No, it's just a sign up. It's just a mailing list. So you'll get, I think it's a weekly kind of newsletter. And once you're subscribed there, also LinkedIn is a great resource for finding out what's out there by following companies in the industry. You can find out when they have new postings that pop up on their job boards. 
many of the larger companies, of course, have internships. And for me, that was my way into this world was by interning. So I cannot recommend it highly enough. If there are internships out there, going for them and getting your foot in the door that way is highly recommended. Awesome. Thank you so much. And frankly, I think I should have asked you this question first, and that is, Corey, what is a visual effects artist (laughs) for our young listeners who may not be familiar with it as it is distinct from a special effects artist? That is true. So back in the early days of cinema and of movie making, there was a team of people that created what were called special effects. And special effects were things that were made on the set generally that integrated something that couldn't be otherwise filmed. So that might mean a background or some exotic, you know, some landscape that could be created right there on the set by either painting a beautiful backdrop or using camera tricks, such as putting a piece of glass in front of the camera with a painting on it. And below that painted line, it would just be glass and you would see the actor on the stage where they were being filmed. And it would look to the audience looking at the film that that person was standing in front of that background using this kind of camera trick. As the technology has advanced over, you know, the last 50, 60, 70 years, we can now differentiate work that's done on set is what we now call special effects. So that would include explosions, puppets, maybe miniatures or things you would actually film with a camera and what we call visual effects, which is generally things that are created in post-production after the fact. So you might shoot on a stage, you might shoot an actor the common knowledge people know about like green screens and blue screens. So you would film the actors and then a visual effects artist would take that, put it into a computer program and composite that together with something else, whether that be a digital background, something created in like Photoshop or maybe another filmed background filmed somewhere else. But putting things together digitally is part of the realm that we call visual effects. And the realm of all the things that can be done in visual effects is pretty broad. You know, it could be very cartoony animation, things like you would see in a Pixar film. It can be very realistic animation, something that might integrate together with something that looks like it's right there and you don't even know what it is. And then at the far end of that scale is what we call invisible visual effects, which is that you didn't even know that visual effects were used. And to me, those are the best and most interesting and exciting kinds of visual effects, because at the end of the day, what you want when I'm watching a movie is not to think about, oh, wow, that must have been hard. I just want to watch the story and be drawn into the world that they've created and not to be aware of the fact that it's artificial. Oh, my God. That was like the most amazing description (laughs) that I could have asked for. Thank you so much for that. That was really incredible. So, Corey, what is a useful hard and soft skill that you look for in the young people that you've hired over the years to do visual effects artistry? Great question. When many people think of visual effects, especially young people, they think about computer graphics. The term is CG or CGI, computer generated imagery. And so they download free programs like Blender or Autodesk Maya, which many of these programs, you can get free learning editions online from the software manufacturers. And they learn the tools and the software to do that. 
But the skill that they're missing out on and the thing that I always encourage young people to make sure that they're paying attention to is to use their actual eyes and to look at the world around them. So even if you can create something in the computer, the skill that I'm also looking for is can you identify things in real nature? So that might mean photography, like going out with a camera and taking pictures of life, of people, of landscapes. Or it might be a traditional art form like drawing or painting or sculpting or something where you use your eyes, your hands and your creative mind. And the best artists, in my opinion, working in this field are people that have a well-rounded range of skills. In addition to their work on the computer, they also can do other things. At the end of the day, when you are working in visual effects and you're working in an office with people, everyone there knows how to use the software. It's the team's knowledge of like, what else can you do? Can you sculpt? Can you draw? Can you paint? Can you use photography? That makes the team work really well because then you enhance the skill set of everyone. So when we bring people in to my visual effects teams, we're not just looking at what's on the reel. We're looking at what else can you do or what else are you even interested in? What about someone's major, Corey? Does it matter what they study? Is it a deciding factor to get into this field if they haven't studied film television, production, fill in the blank. It doesn't really matter what they studied, to be honest. I do think that there are programs and I've taught at several universities and been part of programs where they do a great job of specializing the education to certain subjects. And those people have experience, they have knowledge, and they have focused learning in those software applications. I do believe that Many of those skills are things that you can either learn on your own or you could learn on the job. I have to say myself, I went to school for film production. So when I went to Northwestern University, I studied, you know, filmmaking, and that included shooting film and video editing and all of those kind of skills. I'm not specifically using all of those things in my day job, but the fact that I know them helps my work in post-production visual effects because I understand the language of cinema. Did I have to go to school for that? Of course not. There are people that I work with who studied English or philosophy or literature or history, but they took an interest in it and then they moved into film production because one thing that a lot of people that work in the movie industry have in common is a love of the craft of making and watching movies. So I think the excitement and the passion that people have around that subject matter is what draws a lot of us into working in this field. No doubt. What about a grad school degree? And obviously less so for somebody who's looking for a production assistant position or another entry level position, more so for somebody, I don't know, who wants to get into the C-suite. Is it important useful, valuable to have a grad degree? And if so, what are the most useful ones to have? So in visual effects specifically, to be an artist, it's not essential to have a master's or to have a graduate degree for some jobs. I would say that there are different tiers and different specialties where having higher education can absolutely help. I'm thinking specifically on the programming side. You know, a lot of the effects that we see in movies, they might seem relatively simple, but there's a lot of complex math and computation happening. So to create images and 
and algorithms to make something look like, say, fire or water or particles or to have lighting, you know, that reflects off of a specific surface like skin or an eye that feels and looks realistic. That's a pretty specialized knowledge set. And so many of the people that develop those tools at visual effects companies have their PhDs in computer science and engineering. So I think when your aspiration is to be more on the creatively technical side, that having a computer graphics or a computer science degree is absolutely very helpful. On the other hand, when we're talking about the C-suite, the industry of, you know, filmmaking and movie making, you know, having, say, a master's degree in business would not hurt because, you know, you're running a business. So there's probably a gray area in there between whether you need it or not. Okay. Wow. I just had never thought about the fact that there would be people with a PhD who are working mm -hmm. on these films. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, but holy sure. cow, amazing. Yeah, there's an interesting thing that happens in visual effects, which is that very often there's this idea that visual effects movies are what we call, you know, people call movie magic, that it's the computer is making this incredible effect. And at the end of the day, what people need to know is it is not the computer that is making the effect. The computer might be rendering it or calculating it, but it is a lot of people. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners have read the credits. Hopefully they've read the credits on movies where scores of people, sometimes in five or six columns, are coming up the screen. And you're like, what do all these people do? Well, those are my people. Those are the visual effects teams around the globe who are making the movie magic, in finger quotes, because it actually takes labor. It takes people's time and effort to not only make these amazing effects on the screen, but to iterate on them, to do them over and over again until they look so good that you didn't even notice that it was on there. Mm. So I'm guessing you're one of those people that is there, like the person is the ushers coming through, like yes. getting all the popcorn boxes and things. And you're still sitting there watching that very that last guy. credit. Yeah, I'm that guy. I'm reading all the credits and I've trained my kids as well. My kids stay until the end of the credits. I honestly think it's interesting to see who and where these films were worked on. And I also look at it. It's like a sign of respect. You know, I stay also at a play when the cast comes out to bow. Right. Like, I feel like these are the people who made this thing. And it's a time for me to reflect on the movie that I saw and to acknowledge the crew that made it. A hundred percent. So, Corey, what kind of life experiences do you think are most useful for someone who's starting out in this field? Great question. So if you want to start out in the world of visual effects, I think curiosity is an important trait. I think an interest in how things work. A lot of what we do and what visual effects is about is like being a magician in some ways. It's creating illusions. It's creating something that wasn't there before and finding what's the best way to do it. Because in almost every case, there is not just one way to do something. I'll give you an example. Say that you've got a scene where someone is, you know, landing an airplane and you're in high school and you're shooting like a, you know, a backyard film with your friends and you want to have a scene, you know, where this airplane is landing. Well, let's think about ways we could do that. We could hire an actual airplane to land, right? That would be <laughs> something you could do, right? If you had sure. limitless resources, right? That's one way of doing it. But let's think I'm a high school kid. I don't have the money or the budget 
or the time to do that. So let's see, I could use a prop. I could make a plane and hang it from a string and hang it down and have that land and look a certain way, right? I can make a physical mm-hmm. thing and film it in such a way that maybe it's what we call forced perspective where the plane lands close to the camera, but my friends are standing at the far end of my driveway. So it looks like they're getting off of the plane because the plane is in the foreground and my friends are small in the background. I could do it with a camera trick or I could use computer graphics. I could animate a plane and have that plane land. So curiosity is going to help me decide that, which is like, what are all of my options? What are some ways that I could do that? What would be fun to do? What can I do? What do I know about? What do I want to learn about? All of those kind of things play into the curiosity that's going to force me or drive me to make the decision for how I'm ultimately going to do that. Mm. One of my mentors, who is also my boss at Tippett Studio, his name is Phil Tippett, and he was the one who designed these amazing characters like Jabba the Hutt for the Star Wars films. And he animated the big at walkers on the ice planet Hoth and Empire Strikes Back. So he's a stop motion animator. That's his craft. And I was talking to him recently. And the way he talks about it, he's really well known as an animator and a legend in the special effects industry. And he looks at it as something like this. He goes, I don't even like to animate. To me, I don't even remember the work. I just know that I'm driven to put this thing together and to make it. And when it's done, I like to look at it on the screen and I've blocked out the process of making it because he's so focused on the outcome and he's just doing what he has to do to get to the vision that's playing in his head and what it's going to ultimately look like. A lot of it is really hard work and takes a lot of trial and error, which means a lot of failing and starting over. And when you can iterate and be okay with that and learn from your mistakes, at the end of the day, the pain is worth it because you created something that you can be really happy and proud of. Mm. So it sounds to me, Corey, that you're suggesting that our young listeners just follow their interests Whatever it is that interests them and kind of push that. So if they're interested in photography, if they're interested in filmmaking, if they're interested in storytelling, they Mm -hmm. should just follow that path and see where it takes them and make sure that they are really pushing themselves so that they learn how to fail and rebound from that and keep trying. Yeah, I absolutely. Yes, I Stand behind that. I think that visual effects, you know, back to the sort of the original question about, you know, the right way to do something is there's no correct answer for what's the right way to do it. It's the right way that it feels right for you with the skills or the tools that you have. So knowing how to fail, knowing how to try, following your interest and your curiosity and not waiting for someone to give you the chance so much as you have the tools right now in your pocket. You probably have a telephone or something that can take a picture or can make a short video and you don't need the best tools. You just need something that you can do. And if you don't have that, you can find a pencil and a piece of paper and you can draw. If you think you have an interest in doing this, don't sit around and wait for the phone to ring for someone to give you that opportunity. Create something. And when you create that thing and you put it out in the world, it's the sort of you know concept of other people will see it, appreciate it, and maybe involve you or ask you to participate in their projects. Love we it. find each other. Love it. Corey, what is the best part for you of being a visual effects artist? A lot of people think when you work in the movies, and especially on the visual effects side, that movies are ruined. 
they think, you know, doesn't that ruin the movie when you know how everything is made? And for me, it's the opposite. I think as a creator, you have such a pride in seeing something up on the screen that you had some part of, that you made something, you had something to do with. As a fan of movies and of media, when I see something that's really well done, it's like being a magician and watching another magician do their trick and wondering, wow, how did they do that? Or appreciating all the work that went into their work. So for me, it's appreciation. It's seeing my own work, my colleagues' work, and my peers, you know, people who also do it, and appreciating that, as I said before, it's not easy. Most of what we do, it's not, this is not like a computer is just rendering this thing and you just press the dinosaur button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got to have a lot of patience and a lot yeah. of grit. I'm sure, yeah. to figure it all out. So totally. as we know, Corey, it doesn't matter how wonderful or how much we enjoy aspects of our job. Often there are other aspects that aren't so much fun. So what is the part of your current job that sucks mm -hmm. the most? It's definitely one of the challenges of working in visual effects is this iterative process that you know that you're going to have to do something over and over. And of course, schedules and budgets are going to dictate that things need to be done, you know, in a certain amount of time. So there's never seemingly enough time to do it right or to do it all the way. So there's often this sense that you're behind. And so one of the hardest parts of this is either being okay with it or getting over those kind of hurdles to how do I get there, you know, the fastest or the best. And the best way for me to jump that hurdle is getting frequent feedback from people that I'm working with. If I try to struggle against a problem by myself, it's probably in the end going to take me longer than if after 30 minutes of struggling with this, I reach out to a colleague and I say, hey, I'm having trouble with this. What would you do? And really sourcing from each other's minds and experiences, things that we could try that might improve, speed up, or help us work together. So one of the things that movie people and visual effects people do is something called dailies, which is a daily meeting where we all sit together for like an hour and we all watch each other's work up on the screen. Now, you would think that it would be more efficient for just like a supervisor to come around and visit everyone at their desk and look at what they're doing and give them individual feedback so they could keep working instead of having everybody sitting for an hour watching a movie screen. But if you think about it, what you're doing is you're not only seeing their work, you're understanding what they're struggling against. You could weigh in and then they can give you ideas for how to make your work look as good as theirs. Or you can calibrate, oh, this is how that animated character is moving. I really like how she made the muscle jiggle on that dinosaur leg. I'm going to do that in my shot too. So you get creative ideas, you get technical feedback, and you can keep the whole team aligned on what the goal is at the end, which is to make one creature or one effect. Gotcha. Corey, what is the best career advice you've ever gotten? Hmm. Let's see. I've got a lot of great advice. I've had a lot of mentors and I've really learned to, I guess this is some succinct way of saying this. One of my film school teachers, when I was in high school, I went to a film program at Northwestern called the Cherub Program. And there was a film teacher there who said, pleasant persistence wears down resistance. And I apply that in a lot of aspects of my life. In one, it's if you're driven towards something, if you have a dream, if you have a goal, if you want something, pleasant 
persistence, not just persistence, but pleasant persistence, having a positive attitude, both towards yourself and others, staying with it, not taking rejection or failure as a bad thing, but as a learning opportunity or as a sense that that wasn't the right time or that wasn't the right job. And if you have a cheerful disposition and you go after what you want persistently over time, you will find your way. And so I apply that in a lot of aspects of my life. Oh, that is beautiful. And I love that. Love it. Two final espresso shots. What movies, if any, or Netflix, Hulu, Amazon shows or books, Corey, do you think accurately depict your profession? Mm. You know, I don't think there's yet really been a movie about the world of like the behind the scenes world of what I do, like the visual effects world. There are a lot of great books, a lot of making of books, behind the scenes books about the design and creation of movies. You know, there's a series of books about industrial light and magic throughout the years, you know, from what we call the photochemical days of film production. When you would film something on 35 millimeter film, you would have to composite those using this big, beautiful, elaborate machine called an optical printer, which dates back to, you know, the 1940s and 50s movies like The Ten Commandments and Gone with the Wind, you know, using multiple pieces of film and one light shining through those films and then a camera on the same axis and how those are collected together. Now, that might seem like an antiquity or something old fashioned, but amazingly, the technology or at least the science of how light works and color works is exactly the same in the computer. So learning the history of it is a great thing to know for how to do modern special effects and visual effects using computer programs. The more that people know how something is done, the better they're going to understand the best ways to do it. If you're just relying on hitting a button and not knowing what's happening behind the scenes, you're not going to have as deep or as good a knowledge of being able to create it yourself. Sure. And are any of those books like at the tip of your tongue? Can you remember the names of any of them? Something like creating the magic or the illusion of something. I don't know. I can't remember. But here's another thing. I mean, I highly recommend to anyone watch the behind the scenes clips on, you know, DVDs, Blu-rays, even if you have things like Disney Plus or the streaming services, very often at the end of a movie, those things that you used to find on DVDs, you can actually see them there too. They're extras on things like HBO Go. You'll see behind the scenes. And if you have an interest in making these kind of things, don't just watch the movies, watch how they were made. Watch the documentaries that are attached to those movies. And you know, I could recommend some of my favorites, but I would say pick your favorite movie. So if you love the the Mad Maxes or the Blade Runners or the Star Warses. There is so much great content out there talking about how they're made. Every Pixar film has incredible extras that show things like something that's called a story reel of how animated movies are made, where before they make them in the computer, they're made by artists who will draw storyboards and then an editor will edit all those storyboards together and they'll look at it and then They'll make notes and then they crumple up all those storyboards and they start over and they draw again and they do it over and over and over again until it feels just right. Mm. Oh, my God. Final espresso shot. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about your profession? Mm. I think people would be surprised 
at how long it takes to do something, anything. Many times producers that work even in the field will call me up and they'll say, you know, how much would it cost? How long does it take to do this or that? And everything, even just modeling a character or texturing something or lighting something will take generally probably three or four times longer than you would guess to make that because there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of decisions that are being made, but there's also a lot of things that will go wrong and adjustments that you're going to have to make to get it right. So how long does it take to model something? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it depends. Like, what do you want to model? Do you want to model a version of you? Do we want to make a coffee cup? What's a good example for this conversation? Yeah, okay. Because that's the first thing I would ask. You're like, how long does it take to make a character? Like, well, what does the character have to do? How about this? How long does it take to make a character like Jabba the Hutt? Oh, great. All right. So here's the challenge for your listeners and for us. So you have to create a character like Jabba the Hutt. So let's say it just starts with that and say there was no Jabba the Hutt yet. You're just a director. George Lucas walks in the room and goes, I need this character. His name is Jabba the Hutt. So the first thing that the team will do is ask questions, right? Well, what does he look like? I don't know what he's going to look like. Just draw me a bunch of things. Or maybe he says he's kind of a space slug, right? How big is he? He stands about six feet tall and he's about 15 feet long. Okay. That gives me some parameters. So they'll draw a bunch of different versions of him. And then the director will sometimes say, ah, a little more like this, a little more like that. The guy who actually designed him, Phil Tippett, he asked George Lucas, he says, if you could cast anybody to play this part, who would you cast? And George thought about it. And he said, Sidney Greenstreet who is an actor from, I know him from Casablanca. He's the guy who wears a fez and he's kind of a villainous kind of character, overweight guy. And Phil goes, aha, I know just what to do. So he basically drew a mob boss kind of looking overweight version of this actor, Sidney Greenstreet with a long tail. And George looked at it and said, great. Then he sculpted it. He made an actual sculpture of it. So now going back to the original discussion, so how long do these things take? So this is going to take a few days of drawing, a few days of sculpting. Once you've got sort of this idea, and of course, nowadays, that sculpting and drawing could all be on the computer, right? I'm going to sketch it in a program. I'm going to sculpt it. This might take about a week, week and a half to get something that's kind of a good base shape. Once we refine that, Now we're putting the texture and the color on this. What color is his skin? How does it react to light? Is it shiny? Does he look like he's made out of chrome? Does he have fur on his skin? So that's going to take a few days to develop and define the surface texture of it. What about the tongue? Does he have a tongue? Is it wet and shiny? We're going to paint maps and textures to create every aspect, the eyeballs, the tongue, the bottom of him when he slides does he leave water on the ground or moisture does he drool i'm getting into kind of gross things here but you know like you got to think about all the aspects of a character and now let's put in the bones let's put in bones inside of this they're going to be what the animator will use to move the character because the bones will define how the skin moves if you look at your own fingers if you curl your fingers as your finger bends where's your skin not move and where does it curl and where does it fold so defining the movement of the skin is set up by someone and that could take from hours to days now let's bring it to life let's animate that thing let's actually move it through space and time for however many seconds it needs to take so what i'm kind of adding up to is just to conceive of a job of the hut to build a rough model to put the textures to put the bones that could take I would estimate, if I was estimating for you, probably six weeks to make Jabba the Hutt, just to make him and not even put him in a shot. Mm. 
that really helped. Thank you so much. And he does wear a fez, doesn't he? Yeah, something like that. I also qualify that, which is that sometimes schedule is a thing. So sometimes the client will say, I need a guy and it needs to be done in three weeks. So that, of course, can also be done. That just hastens the decision making. You go, okay, we have three days to design. We have this much time to model. We have this much time. So I think these things can be done in shorter amounts of time, but you also have to look at like, well, what are you sacrificing? We're not going to be able to make endless revisions to it. We're going to have to say, that's okay. That's good enough. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you clarified. (laughs) For those who are interested, Corey also teaches storytelling and improv, and his website lists classes and performances, some of which are available online. So check out CoreyRosen.com. That's C-O-R-E-Y Rosen, R-O-S-E-N dot com. And Corey's home theater and improv company in San Francisco is known as Bats Improv. That's bats like the winged bat with an S. And it can be found at www.improv.org. And they are offering all kinds of live streaming performances that you can check out. Corey, thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. This was just fascinating. Thank you. I had such a great time. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.